0: My dad can beat up your dad. You ever said that? You ever say that when you were a kid before? <laughs> um, most of us have. I, I actually want to see, like, by show of hands. Did you ever say that when you were a kid? Like, my dad could beat up your dad? I mean, there have been some extremely intense debates on playgrounds and classrooms around that kind of idea, right? That, um, that there's, there's something about my dad that's stronger and better than your dad, and um, I'm thinking about where, where does that come from? Why do kids do that? There's probably a lot of reasons. Um, but let, let me, let me share another kind of story with you that falls along the same lines, even though it sounds different. So, um, when I was a freshman in college, I moved to another state and I moved from Memphis, Tennessee to Kalamazoo, Michigan. It's a real place. Um, and I uh, went to Western Michigan University for, for a few semesters there. And um, when I got there, uh, I decided I was going to kind of reimagine myself. And so in high school, it, it kind of took me a little while. I was a little shy around girls and that kind of thing in high school. So when I got to college, I thought like, I'm not, I'm not going to be shy. Nobody's going to know me as a shy person. They're going to know me as this super confident guy who's really good with girls. So um, I, uh, I got my stuff in my dorm and put all that down, got myself situated. And I proceeded to the first floor. That was all the girls side of the dorm. And I just kind of went down and knocked on each door, and if there was a girl in there, I introduced myself and told them about myself, and that was uh, how I started college. Um, I didn't, it might surprise you, I didn't make very good grades my first couple years of college. Um, maybe not surprise you based on that perspective, but um, there is a need that we all have at different points to try to um, control the narratives about our life. Because because there's always other people telling us about what our life is like from, from early on. And and um and I don't know about for for you, but for me, um I didn't I, there were a lot of those narratives I didn't like about that. I mean there were there were so, so many different things from people saying oh well that's just Jamin. He's shy or that's just Jamin he's uh that's what uh Somebody like him does, or, um, oh, you know, Jamin, yeah, he looks like that, but he's mostly white, or the opposite. Ask Jamin, he's black, he'll know. Like all these sort of things that were narratives that kind of controlled um, who I felt like I got to be. And at some point, those narratives that were outside, all of a sudden, they started to feel like they were coming from inside, that they were no longer something somebody was saying outwardly to me, but they actually became things that felt like were coming up from inside of myself. And what I realized and what I hope that uh, many of us can connect with and realize this morning is that the, 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 to the degree that we want to believe something different about ourselves. Um, will be the degree to which we can live by certain values or principles or ideas about what we believe is right. So, so what I'm saying here is, and we're going to look at the profile of a person that fits this description, um, is that we have a deep desire to be able to share our story with other people. And And when that gets hampered, as it often does, or that gets taken away from us or controlled by other people, then we start to make lots of compromises in life, things that we would think and believe were right in order to change that narrative, in order to tell somebody something about us. And so, this gets to the idea of of values because we all have values and we say we value certain things, but really a value is something not just that you think about, but it's actually something that you do, that you produce in the world um, somewhat often. So like if I say I value exercise and eating right, but I only do that on January 1st of every year, that can't really be considered a value. You got me? So today what we're going to explore is this relationship between the narratives or the stories that we want to hear and hear about ourselves and want other people to think about us and how that might compromise our ability to make decisions in life based on what we really think is right and good. So in this passage here is... A man like that, a a, a man named Zacchaeus, who um, we find out a lot of things right in the beginning of the passage about him. So let's look at those first three verses together uh, on the screen or um, in the Bible in front of you. So it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus He was a chief, I did that again. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So, this passage is short, but it tells us so much about the life of Zacchaeus. We find out a couple of really important things about him. One is he was this chief tax collector. And another thing we find out about him is uh, by insinuation here and gets, uh, uh, gets talked about more explicitly later, but he was also Jewish. But another and the final thing we find is that he was short. He was a little guy. So I want you to imagine uh, this, this person here, because I think the way that we see him respond to Jesus is so unique compared to the response other wealthy people, even in just a chapter ago, have responded to Jesus. I think it's really important what we can learn about his life and how that connects to ours. Because um, let me me sketch this out. Let me lay this out for you. So a tax collector um, in that time period, and many of you have heard some of this before as we were going through Acts and things like that, but a tax collector was somebody Um, A Jewish tax collector was somebody who was kind of living in a space in between culture groups, in between um, socioeconomic brackets, in between um, oppressor and oppressed. And so um, he certainly wasn't looked upon by the Romans as anything but a Jew, um, which was a lower class of people in that time and space, but to the Jewish people, it was even worse because Zacchaeus is like, a, he's a sellout. He's someone who has, um, who has come up as a minority in this culture. And he is looking for a way to make a living for himself. What he wants is some measure of security in his life. Can you relate to that, wanting security in your life? and, and He's small, so like he's not going to be able to stand out and be a day laborer. He'd be like playing dodgeball. He'd be the last person picked on the team, right? So he, that's not a viable option for him. Nobody's going to really want him for his manual labor work. But as a, as a Jewish man, he was also limited in his opportunities. What could he possibly do with his life? And I'm betting that uh, because of the size of his stature, he had to learn to um, be manipulative, to, to get what he wanted, to navigate life, to um, deal with all of the forces coming against him. So he had two strikes against him. First, he was part of a group of people that were oppressed, the Jewish people. And then thinking about this and what we know about how small of stature people were treated at that time, there was bigotry against him. It was believed that if you were ext- if you were short, if you were a small of stature person, you were less courageous, you were less intelligent, you were less because you were smaller physically. And so he's dealing with all these things and he happens to find this niche where he gets really good at taking money from his own people, skimming some off the top and then giving that to Rome. So he becomes this intermediary to take money out of his own community that was already oppressed and give it to the oppressors all the while making money off of it this is a difficult and complex situation this is not also not a unique situation That there are millions of people who have filled this role in humanity all over the world in which this sort of relationship existed between oppressed and oppressor who stood up and kind of said, well, like, somebody's going to do this. Like, somebody's going to tax my people, and they're going to make money off of it, and they're going to do well for themselves. Why not me? Somebody else is just going to do it if I don't do it. Oh. You ever said that before? You ever said anything like that before? Like, what's it matter? If I don't do it, somebody else will, so I might as well get the benefit from it. It becomes so easy to make certain compromises. And so um, Zacchaeus was in this position. So he was wealthy, but he wasn't content. He wasn't happy. He thought, maybe I can control the narrative About me if I gain some status, if I get a little cash in my pocket, maybe then somebody will say, hey, he means something like he's he's a big shot. He's made it. He's gotten somewhere. And we haven't. We haven't been able to do what he's been able to do. But he's not content. And we know that because while Zacchaeus is shucking and jiving and doing his whole thing he hears about a man named Jesus. He hears about a guy who's not really that interested in what the narratives that people create about him are. That he kind of just strolls in through Jericho with these throngs of people around him, and he's just saying saying what it is. He somehow is able to bear all of the gossip, all of the rumors, all of the ways that people try to speak poorly of him and continue not to compromise, to not compromise what he believes is right. And we know Zacchaeus isn't satisfied with what he's achieved because as soon as he hears Jesus is coming, he's racing to try to see him. He just wants to see Jesus. So he's trying to make his way through the crowd. And he can, he's not tall enough again, man. So he finds a tree and he climbs up in it and is hoping to just get a look at this guy. This guy, he's like when a room is suddenly filled with morning light. Like all of a sudden there's hope again. All of a sudden there's a possibility that all the compromises that I've made to be somebody, to be seen, that haven't worked, maybe there is a way to do this. Maybe there is a way to have the belonging that I want. And maybe compromise isn't the way to do it. So he sees Jesus, but little does he know Jesus is looking for him. And so as we continue to read the next few verses, verses four through seven, it says this. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the reactions of these people around Jesus. And and, and I I was empathizing with their response, this, with their reaction, that at this point, Jesus was more and more coming into this identity that he might be the savior, he might be the one to redeem the people of God, the Israelites from the oppressive rule of the Romans and restore the rightful kingdom uh, that had been prophesied about uh, in Jerusalem, the city of Zion, God seated on the throne and then they see him join this guy for a meal, this traitor, this, um, this back, double-talking, two-faced sort of person in their society. And, and, and this, this has, this has um, troubled and taxed my mind and my conscience. This week, this past week, as I've really been thinking about this situation, Um, it's easy to look at this passage and kind of gloss over kind of these things and just, hey, this is just kind of this salvation story kind of deal. And it's a little bit different because Zacchaeus climbed a tree and isn't that cute, you know, kind of thing. But Jesus is, is telling us something right now that is very unpopular in our culture. He's 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 telling us that everybody's story matters. Not not just the people that agree with you, not not just the people who have it worst at the moment, but that every single person's story matters, which to this morning that means I want you to know that means that your story matters and your story is important. It doesn't matter we don't have to um Uh, compare and contrast what you've been through from what another person has been through. And Jesus knows that and he sees that about Zacchaeus. See, we we live in a culture and a world right now that from the top to the bottom, what we're assuming is that what you are is the worst thing that you've ever done. That's your identity. Whatever the worst thing you've ever done, whoever knows about that, now that's what you are. That's your identity. And then what's left to do? What's left to do once you've decided a person is beyond the pale, that they are no longer a part of this human project anymore? That's that's the point that we're at. And, and And that's what was going through in a different way, through this crowd's mind. They're like, how could you spend this time with this type of person? Why are you wasting your time doing that? <laughs> I was thinking about the importance of, of having our story heard. and um, Rachel and I were talking this week about the rabbit hole lecture and we were talking about the Q&R uh, time, q and response time. And uh, we we're talking about when you have a Q&R time and the mic goes around, right? And some people ask questions when the mic comes around. But there's never a time I've ever been a part of a Q&R, leading it, sitting in it, seeing it on TV, where that's what everybody who gets the mic does. What do some people do? They tell their whole story, right? They tell, they tell everything kind of going on with them, and then, then the person leading the Q&R says, so is there a question? Right? You all know that you might be the one who's done that, right? And it's because of this need, this desire that we have for somebody to hear us, for somebody to, to see us, for somebody else not to have control of what's thought about who we are. But for us to have a chance to describe that and say that is such a powerful, deep need in us as human beings. And that's what Jesus was giving this chance to Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. I wanna see what your life is about. I wanna see what it's like for you. You see, Zacchaeus, for us in this distant way, at least for me, it's easy to think about his life and the way that I described it and empathize with him. But if we were to translate him right now into the person, the public figure you are most frustrated with in your mind, if I was to do that, it would be much more difficult. And part of the reason is because we have so weaponized the idea of who gets to tell their story that we think as a culture, if we listen to somebody's story, that we're not on the same ideological side with them, that we're doing something wrong, that that somehow now we are implicated, that if we dare have some empathy for somebody who thinks differently than the person on the other side of the aisle for us, that we are now a traitor. That's the situation that Jesus is in right here. They're like, whoa, oh, okay, Jesus. So you rolling like that now. We thought we knew what you were about, but now you've compromised. There's a... There's a saying uh, by a, a group of people called the Quakers. I'm gonna put it on. We're gonna put it on the screen a second, um, but don't do it yet. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna to hear hear about the Quakers for one second. Um, the the Quakers having their own sort of religious community, on their own expression of of Christianity. Um, they did something that's not a part of the common narrative in the United States. They, um, they ended the practice of slavery amongst their own people before their emancip- Emancipation Proclamation never happened. Now, they still owned slaves up to that point, but they didn't need the Civil War and a president and all this stuff to end it. So you know there's something going on with the Quakers. You know they're thinking about things and living life a little bit differently than what the rest of us were kind of handed. But the Quakers' saying is this, An enemy is one whose story we have not heard. See, here's our problem in our culture. And it's what we do with people convicted of crimes um, like murder or robbery or theft or things like that, especially if they're minorities. The, The statistics are incredibly alarming but also for these people in the limelight. Somebody does something and it's wrong and it's bad. And we now say, hey, you no longer are human. You don't get the rights of a human being anymore. And and here's what Jesus is showing us in this passage. One of the things he's showing us is that invalidating one person's humanity to restore another's, can never work. I'm, I'm gonna say that again. Invalidating one person's humanity to restore another's can never work. This is, uh, this is in so many ways the, uh, the, the, one of the biggest issues we have in our country. It's, it's, to, it's to destroy whatever we think is wrong, is evil to take away its humanity. And by eliminating this thing, then we'll finally have the world that we need. But it doesn't work. It never never works. So the leader of ISIS was, was killed. There's gonna be another guy. Hate can't drive out hate. And so Jesus is offering us a challenge here, but it's not a challenge that we can meet through shame. We can't be shamed into, oh, yes, I just need to do better, because that's just not enough fuel. You won't be able to get there just by hearing a sermon, and I try to say some things that really make you feel bad about whoever it is you're talking about. What we actually need is to practice what we see Jesus doing here more in our lives, which is to tell our stories and also to hear the stories of other people. So that's, that's just the starting point for some of us in this room is whose story can we listen to that we're uncomfortable hearing about because we might humanize them in the process. For some of us, it's the courage just to be able to find a person that we know we can share our story with who will listen and not try to fix it or shame us into changing our behavior, but can just hear from us. Some of us, we just need the courage. There, we don't. We don't. We can't get anywhere else really until we do that. And for that, that's a scary. That might be the hardest work that we have to do. So, calling out this idea of, of call out culture, of calling out what's wrong, and what someone has done. It's important, and it's not a bad start. But we have to go further than that, because Jesus is not just one who called out, but he also called to. So he called out the behaviors and the things that were unjust and that were wrong, but he also called people to something greater. Do we have something greater to call people to? We need that right now in our city, in our country, and in our world. That's the place that I hope that Christ City is becoming and will continue to become. Um, there's a, um, a lawyer, civil rights advocate. He works mostly in prison reform and um he he got into this somewhat accidentally his name's Brian Stevenson he wrote a book called Just Mercy um and he he's uh he had a really famous TED talk i think it was in 2014 uh, around this works and he's come to to great notoriety around this work. But one of the things that comes up if you listen to him for any length of time is that he begins, he, he has this understanding of this idea that invalidating one person's humanity to restore another's is a failed cause and it doesn't work. And that we are killing so many people based on that premise that we've lost sight of even why we're doing it, if they deserve it. We're just spiraling out of control. That that uh, one of the I'll share just one statistic that one in nine people that have been on death row have been exonerated at some point, either before or after their death. One in nine. That's how eager we are to kill people. That 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 somebody is just the worst thing they've ever done or not even done. Imagine if you were about to get on a plane and they were like, yeah, you know, the odds are decent, one one in nine, you know, you won't make it. So that's eight, eight out of nine, you will make it. How many of you would fly? How many of us would fly? Not many. He says this around this idea that we see Jesus and Zacchaeus get to together. Um, it's, It's in your bulletin. It's a quote in your bulletin. It says, my work with the poor... And the incarcerated has persuaded me that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. And so as we look back at these scriptures, we see that Jesus coming to Zacchaeus' home, sitting with him, giving him a chance and a space to even reconsider and reimagine who he might be if he could belong, if he could matter in the ways that he always wanted to, that Zacchaeus begins to change. And so we look at the verses eight through 10 here in in chapter 19, um, and we have an abrupt shift. Jesus says, hey, you know, I'm coming to your place. People grumble and cut to, we're in Zacchaeus' home, Zacchaeus stands up and says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was much more than the worst thing that he he had ever done. And don't get me wrong, this is not uh, a fairy tale ending. Zacchaeus doesn't even give up his job that he's doing. He's still a chief tax collector. Although the move he makes towards reparation and restitution to the people that he has wronged is far beyond the scope of the conversation that we have as a country. It shouldn't be, but it is. But at the end of the day, Zacchaeus is moving towards a life of justice. He's moving towards it, and Jesus identifies that as salvation. So Jesus comes into the home, and he sees this decision Zacchaeus is making, helps us to see Zacchaeus is finding salvation. He has found a belonging outside of material wealth and security and possessions and being able to control this narrative. He's begun to believe the narrative that I have spoken over him that is inside his very bones and his blood and his DNA, that he too is a child of Abraham, that he is a blessed, beloved son of God. That's true of the very worst person in our minds that we can imagine. This is hope that the world needs. So, you know, I've I've thrown a lot of things out there. So I just want to leave you uh, with a few questions, Uh, three questions. And maybe one of these sticks out for you as we um, begin to get ready to have communion and, and, and close in prayer. The first question, have you told your story to a person capable of listening? Have you ever um, been able to sit and just say, this is, this is really what life has been like for me with somebody who you can trust? It could be a counselor, it could be a friend, it could be a pastor or an elder here. Second question, is there a story of a marginalized group that you can get closer to? Proximity matters. We see that in this passage. It was Jesus coming into the home of Zacchaeus that changed things. It's easy to dehumanize things, people, situations from a distance. It's nearly impossible if you get to a certain degree of distance um, closer. And the third question, what action will you take to move towards justice based on what you already know, what you already know about people's stories, what you already know about a story? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the uniqueness of the message of Jesus, how he challenges all the things we would assume about what's right and what's wrong, about how to live our lives. And I pray that as we come to the table this morning, that we come knowing, just like Jesus invited himself to a meal with Zacchaeus, and that the result of that was salvation, that he invites us to the very same table, this communion table. And so I pray if there's if there's anyone who would desire to follow after Jesus, that they would even make that decision in their hearts as they take communion this morning. That if they say, you know, I I really think this is a person. This is this incarnation of God as someone worth following, worth believing in, worth asking for him to save me, that we would do that even this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.